from the home offices of Ash and Flow. This is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. We're back on for a new episode of the Underblowers podcast, Ash. Yeah, we're back. We're back. It's another one, isn't it? Yeah, another one. And uh, with another guest this time, yes. we are delighted to be joined by Professor Joe O'Mahony. He's a professor of consulting at the University of Cardiff and also uh, a consultant to boutique consultancies and small consulting firms. And I think, uh, Joe, that's all based on your own experience, right? Which maybe you can also summarize a little bit for us. But you've, you've been a consultant yourself for sure. most of your career, all of your career. I don't know how you describe it. Well, I, it depends how you define consultant. It's pretty flexible these days. So, yeah, so I finished my PhD back in 2000. During that period, I'd been an independent consultant. Then I became a corporate consultant all right. in the tech space. Then I jumped to a well, what what at the time was the world's biggest startup company, which was three, the mobile phone company, hmm. and their internal consulting function launched. All right. Came to academia and got bored. And so ever since then, well, this has been 20 odd years now, I've been advising initially it was friends who started their own consultancies and wanted to grow them, but for the last 15 years have been fortunately charging. For, <laughs> for my time taking the advice i give to others yeah brilliant and and you, you're very active on uh, linkedin as well um, yeah, on the social uh, plus, space. yeah which is how i came across you for the first time and then i realized i have a book written by this guy because you're also <laughs> you've also authored a few pieces relevant to our space right um, yeah what, what was the title of i have your most recent one is what i learned what was the, uh, title the, the, the most recent one is called growth building a consultancy in the digital age i think i've got idea if i finish it in time i've got another one coming out in easter which will be about artificial intelligence in professional service firms all right. I will have to read that as well but i mean we did I invited you here because i saw a couple of hosts from you on LinkedIn that made it clear you're someone who thinks about consulting firms as entities that sort of have a life cycle and go through growth stages, yeah. Yeah. which is different. And I saw a video by you that explained sort of the major stages, I would say, I don't know, on, on such a growth journey for, a, let's call it a mid-sized firm, right? And and I also, then I saw another post by you where you had, where you discussed the necessity for future leaders of these firms to prepare for their roles as in charge of business development. So, and then that's when I said to Ash, okay, I think we need to ping Professor Mahoney and ask him to come on because we are interested in this question. How does marketing fit into this idea of growth stages and, and a life cycle? Why don't we start with that? What, what are the typical growth stages you see in the field? Cool. Okay. Right. So, and there's a there's always a caveat, but there is a, a decent, uh, a real caveat with this in that, you know, <laughs> I'm simplifying every firm is slightly different. And as with all life cycle models, there's always the death model mm -hmm. where people <laughs> don't make it and fall out the back and die or, or just decide to stay where they are, which is a dangerous strategy. But we can talk about that later if needs be. So 
number let, let's take your average firm owner who has left a uh, big four mbb Accenture, ibm <clears throat> bumped up against partner got a bit irritated with the uh, w- with the system has left started up by themselves <laughs> This is about me now. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry. Yeah, I've read your biography. <laughs> no. It's the story of hundreds of thousands. Yeah, I mean, the, okay. I'd, I'd love to write a book one day about all the people that left Arthur Anderson when it became Accenture. And that was a massive boost for entrepreneurship in the professional service. All right. Never been told. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So what, what, this, what this person will do is they'll think, oh, this consultancy like is easy. I'm charging thousand two thousand pounds a day and i'm getting all the money and they're selling to their friends they're selling to their old clients they're sending perhaps to the firm that they've just been working with maybe they've gone in as a contractor they're selling some services there so it's relatively easy but you're a solo consultant and after a while you start to think i'm selling my money for time perhaps i want to grow this beast and so almost that's the first stage is when those contracts start to dry up and you suddenly realize that you don't have the brand of Accenture or KPMG or McKinsey behind you mm. and people aren't queuing up at your door to, to, to come to you. And so most founders get a shock after about two years when the old contracts start to dry up and the new contracts aren't there. Now, if they're wise, they've been doing some prospecting or off the back of that. Now, that may involve marketing, but it's probably more cost-effective to focus on referrals at this stage. Yeah. So you've done a good piece of work for someone. You ask for referrals, you get referred to someone else. So then you're, you, you know, but on the basis of referrals, you might recruit some more people. There's a few challenges there, but we're focusing on the marketing side of things. So then you get to about 10, 10 people. Yeah. And perhaps you find but the people that you've employed can't do sales and you're still selling off the back of your own network. Um, that increasingly becomes a bottleneck. So you're asking for referrals, but perhaps the quality of your work isn't what it was because you're employing other people. And so what happens now? You've got to 20, 20 people. All these people are dependent on you for paying the mortgage. You're looking at the pipeline thinking there's a challenge here. Um, and typically... <laughs> Is that when the is that when the bad nights start? Yeah, like, well, no, the bad nights <clears throat> never stop. I mean, yeah, okay, all right, <laughs> it's, it's just different challenges. Yeah. yeah, all right, okay. So, so that's the first phase is kind of going up to about twenty to thirty people on the basis of the founders' network or the founders' networks, mm-hmm. and then they think, oh, we need help in getting our messages out there. And there's two ways people respond to that. One is just a plow a pile of cash into an agency and the other is to buy in marketing expertise but the the challenge here and i think you guys might recognize this is that most seniors see it as something that you can throw money at the problem and you don't need to deal with the problem and things start to go wrong because the marketing function whether it's external or internal kind of goes off and does their own thing starts to spend a fair bit of cash and the results aren't necessarily there because they haven't worked out their value proposition and all these other things. Which, yeah. which, thank you for pointing that out because I, I like to very much highlight it that, like maybe to the principals listening or the practice leads or whatever. I, I don't know if many are, but 
marketing as a function is the is sort of the transmission that realizes your strategy in the marketplace first instance so it's not if i were you that's not necessarily someone i would something i would just hand off to someone else and let them run with it because then you could have the greatest strategy in the world but you know it's their interpretation of it that goes out via mass media you, nah, no you should have you should be closely involved i think especially in the early stages yeah and making sure the business strategy making sure the marketing strategy that is derived from the business strategy is still you know a close enough fit and it's not just here are pictures of the office dog on linkedin right that's not, yeah <laughs> that's, sure that's not what you want sorry ash you were you were trying to say something. no no carry on no I, yeah okay yeah. So okay. So we so we are the twenty. Then we bring someone in. And yes, you're right. This is where the the problems, which are interesting to me personally, start, yeah. start spinning up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but some, something else happens, or c- can happen around yeah. this stage. And so, if you distinguish between the growth phase, which is where small firms are trying to work out what they do, or mm. what they should do, mm-hmm. and the scale phase when the firm knows what they're about and they invest in that function, um, then typically when people talk about marketing, they very often think of, you know, digital media advertising or funnels or eBooks or whatever. There's a really important function of marketing that isn't spoken about much. And that's the market research, the competitor research and defining the value proposition. And, you know, firm might do that for themselves or they might get external help but that's a really crucial phase when a firm everyone talks about it but there's a fundamental point where a firm says okay we're going to start saying no to some work that we've been saying yes to because what we're about as a firm is this fundamental proposition which articulates why people should buy from us and not from other people and at that you need I believe you need help to get to that phase because it's not just defining it. Then you start to define your messages, your brand. Perhaps you go through a rebranding process. You put different messaging up and all the rest of it. It's becoming much more crystal clear about what you're about as a firm. And that can happen at any stage from sort of, you know, 10 people to 100 people. But for for the firm to be very successful, that needs to happen. Yeah, and... Thank you. And this um, is slightly tangential, but it, it, you, you're pointing to someone where, which I've been thinking about recently more often is, I think that then is also the point in time where the referral channel, I'm hesitant to call it the channel, but the, the referral yeah, becomes yeah. dangerous because now I have set the strategy, right? Like you said, now we are clearer on what we're trying to sell and who might want it. But if we get business referred to us, there's very little control about that aspect of it, right? Someone recommends someone else to us. So now if I say no, my good contact looks bad, like all that stuff. So I was, I was, I'm thinking about more of this question of, is there a, is the, is there a point in the growth stages where the referral model becomes a liability because it creates so much opportunity for you to veer off the strategy and to say yes to stuff just because it's put in front of you. And that's not what you should be doing. And marketing would be a protection against that because you can say, oh no, we have a decent enough pattern of the stuff we want. So, because you said, this is when you start saying no, well, you have to be able to do that, right? You still have to pay all the mortgages. So the pipeline's empty. It's very difficult to say no to a referral, even if it's not a good fit. I don't have any any views on that. Yeah, 
I agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a marketing is an insurance against that because referrals can be about specific work. But that's true. Yeah. It, it it also reflects what's happening in the firm itself. So for example, if you've got partners who are who are rewarded simply on what they sell, they'll sell anything to get their bonus up. And you know, they'll sell all types of unsuitable stuff. And if the same is true as if you've got a sales function and you've got, you know, a couple of people who are just out there picking up the phone trying to sell stuff, it can work. But they're just, you know, unless you're really clever about the tie-up with delivery, you're going to get a situation where stuff is being sold that prevents you from focusing down, yeah. dilutes your value, and muddies your proposition in the market. And if you really want to grow to be a successful firm, and also to sell successfully, you know, a lot of these founders want to sell their firms, and this is Ash's area, you need to have that clarity for the person that's going to be buying you. So if you've got, you know, five disparate services being delivered in three different regions where there's not much cross-sell, in effect, someone that's going to buy you is going to be saying, well, we'll buy this bit of you, but we don't want all this other stuff. Yeah. So in, in effect, you're wasting your value there. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. And I completely agree. I've seen so many carve-outs just because of things like that. Not to mention if the whole purpose is to sell yourself, uh, once you end up being bought, you still need to find a home within such a place because your offering and your value prop needs to fit into a larger firm. And also, just based on what you're saying, some of the things that I do, I have seen when people were scouting to ask for if I was interested is they're just throwing everything at the wall, seeing what sticks rather than like having a defined prop, which yeah. then, like you said, dilutes not just all of that, dilutes the identity and brand in the market because they're just like a an everything shop. You can just go to yeah. them for anything, which yeah. if you're small, just does, it doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> so I, but I, I like the idea because I'm trying to, from what you just said, bring us back again to the stages, because I feel like we jumped out to the end of it. We'll make an accident or yeah, hand yeah, over sure. to next yeah. But uh, Chupan, so, so somewhere between the growth and the scaling stage, so figuring out what to do, what to say to the market, what works, that is something marketing should be prepared to help with. They will not, it's not something the marketing function produces, right? It can, I think it can guide and advise on the decision-making, but it's in the end, it's a business. These are business decisions. This is where marketing, the discipline is done by leadership, right? As opposed to marketing the, the function that does maybe then does more of the technical stuff. But I, I like that or I like this bit and to me, I like to point it out to the listeners is that, yeah, you, we should be, if you wanted to be good marketers in the firm, we should be prepared to be able to deliver those things you mentioned, right? The research, good overview of the competitive space, maybe opinions on yeah. where we should go. Do you have any, <clears throat> and, and then before we progress with the stages, but do you have any view on the, uh, the, the, what's forget the word, the client journey and service design and these elements, because Ash and I spent a couple of previous episodes on that a lot. Is that also something marketing should get involved in, or is that someone else's role? Well, they, you know, the, the trouble with the world, including consulting, is that everything's a specialism now. And, you know, even stuff that is fairly <laughs> common sense, you know, the whole, C, the whole CX, UX thing is is a good example of this. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I mean, when you say marketing, it can be, as you quite rightly said, it could be, you know, a senior person with their marketing hat on, 
thinking mm. about the customer and the client and what's the journey and what's their experience and other values coming across and is it easy to buy if you look mm. at if you look at when clients make decisions on the consultancies they buy from the ease of which they can buy services is ranked really highly much more highly than most consultants think and so yeah. definitely yeah. that yeah. that experience is part of it however what i would say is that once you've gone past, once you know what you're about, you've started to get a some type of system that takes some of the responsibility for sales away from the founders and perhaps yeah. some of the partners. Then you've got a system. Then then you've got the beginnings of a system. So it might just be a newsletter, or it might just be you know SEO on the website, or a blog, or a podcast, or an ebook, mm. whatever. But then you've got something that will get you up to the next level perhaps and the the next point in the s curve i from a organization perspective mm -hmm. is around 100 to 120 people yeah um, all right and really what you want to be building there is a set of systems that shift the intellectual property in effect you're building a machine so you're building intellectual property so that you know Accenture or someone else comes along and says they want to buy you and they're not at all worried about people leaving because there's an asset that that functions and marketing is part of that whether you've got an internal marketing function or an external marketing function you've got a set of processes that are now established and work yeah rather than are experimental exper experiential and experimental the trouble i find at the 30 person stage the second s curve the top of the s curve the inflection point is that and you guys, I'd, I'd appreciate your opinion on this. In my view, finding out what works in marketing isn't a science. It's you've got to be patient, you've got to experiment, and you've got to, you know, be regular with what you're doing. Agreed. And so, a lot. What I see a lot of the time is that founders will say to me, "Oh, listen, we tried marketing last year. You know, we spent thirty grand, and it took three months, and nothing happened, and so we pulled it." Now, a good, you know, experimenting with marketing can take a year, maybe 18 months before you see something out the other side that's really showing the system works. And as part of that, you need to experiment. You know, you guys can't come along and say this, you know, an ebook will definitely work for this company or a newsletter campaign will definitely work. You need to get a feel for what works over time. That's my yes. view. I don't know if you guys think the same. We agree. Actually, we've spoken about this because within large firms or even small firms, what happens is these things take a cycle, at least. And there's also a cycle of improvement that happens. Usually, since someone's thrown money into quote-unquote marketing, they're like, well, we haven't seen the results when we've just thrown it right now, and we are going to stop. Forgetting the fact that trying to implement a new program each time is going to cost them more money, rather than trying to iterate and push out what they've already done once yeah. to see if it can work. So yeah, we come across, we've spoken about this and we do come across this quite often, mostly because everyone wants instant results. Yeah, everyone wants instant results. And I think what people underestimate is the fact that so much of the success of marketing is predetermined outside, just outside marketing yes. on the business decision-making level. And you mentioned the IP or just the, the clarity of thinking or the originality of perspective of the consultancy. I find when clients come and say, oh, we tried marketing, it's not working. My first reaction is always, it's ridiculous. 
it's ridiculous. I put up the web browser, I show you three firms that went from zero to five million in revenue over two years just using LinkedIn. If you tell me it's not working for you, that's on you. By definition, it can't be on the channel because it's worked elsewhere, right? So, so what the issue is, is that the what you do inside those trends or what, what you do with your marketing machine is very important. And this goes back to what you said earlier. This is why it's so critical that people have these discussions about research, about strategic thinking, about being intentional, way more. And this is where I find that this is where the struggle begins. Yes, there's also questions about how do we even measure it and so forth. But measuring is actually easy when you have a set of hypotheses, right? I bu we build a funnel and then we optimize against that because we think that flow is reasonable. But the, the problem comes in that the optimization to be done here is not the funnel. That's very mechanics, pretty straightforward. The question is, what do you say in the webinar? Mm. What's in the strategy workshop? And if I can be pretty candid and blunt about it, most of the stuff shit, sorry. Mm. The challenge there is putting a better foot forward in the first place. And my solution there to, I'm experimenting with a metaphor. I said, look, software companies have product demos. They're free or trials. Your marketing needs to be a free trial of your consultancy. So I have to see your thinking. I have to get your best advice. I have to get to try out your process. Yep. That's what that is. Yep. We have a quality issue more than we have as an experiment setup and measurement issue is my argument. I would also say it's it was really about about the mindset of the decision maker. So so something I see a lot is, and you you guys I'm sure have seen this, is a founder who wants to talk all about the firm. Perhaps they're technically brilliant themselves, and so they want to talk about all the technical stuff. And then they'll yeah. do this webinar about you know Python optimization on cloud computing services. And wonder why 10 people turn up as opposed to why should you invest in, you know, what are your priorities for cutting costs in the next year? Yeah. Now that's going to get a lot of attendees rather than the technical side of things. Yeah. It's likely because of a simple thing as in cons, like they don't know their audience as in they don't speak the language of the audience clearly. Well, but, that, but that's what keeps puzzling me after 10 years or whatever in this field is, if you think of every business model we can conceive of, like the consultant is the one that should know their customers because they interact with them all the time and they work on their actual problems. Like I always, I can understand if someone creating some SaaS software for hospitals who's never worked in a hospital, if they don't understand the customer, I can say, okay, I can see why that's a challenge. But a management consultant sits across their client all the time. So that's fascinating. My, my explanation is that it is, it is the function of being an expert Yep. I think that, that's my explanation because we, and this, I'm not free of this myself, right? So because we deal with the root cause issues of the problem all the yes. time. Yes. Uh, we don't even think about the actual acute experience pains, which are very different from the root cause anymore, because that's obvious, boring stuff to us, to, to the yep. client, it's everything. All right. No, but I don't know. So I think we touched upon the stages. Are we done? Are we through the stages? Sorry, that was my question. Um, yeah, so, I mean, so that, we're now at that, 100 people. Yeah. So, the, I mean, there is kind of a, a, another stage. Again, these aren't marketing stages. They're organization no, no. stages. <clears throat> yeah. but there's another stage once you get to kind of 500, you know, the, the gaps become exponentially bigger. 
as, yeah. as you get up. But I, I don't deal with firms that big. I deal, my biggest client would be 150, 200 people. All right. But what's the, what's the challenge? Okay. All... Um, so at, at that stage, it, it depends on the structure, but very often it's the internationalization. So in, oh, in effect, okay. you, max, you max out in the country that you're in, you're starting to internationalize, open new offices, you've got different cultures coming in. Um, and then there you need to make a, a, a choice. What you'll find if you look at the data, there are very few firms between 700 and 5,000. There's a massive jump to the massive firms then. Um, and the, re the reason then is because once you get to, say, 500, you're competing with the large firms. But you don't have their economies of scope and scale. You don't have their relationships. And so very often then you have to internationalize and that that can be disastrous as well. So, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough, and then, then, know, then, then there's no easy stages. <laughs> well, but I presume once you have, once you survive that or you've figured that out, then scaling, then adding the next couple of thousand people probably is not as difficult anymore because you now, Great. again, yeah. this is going back to your earlier point, which I liked a lot between growing, so figuring stuff on a dance scaling, because now we know yeah. once we internationalize in three markets, well, we can do another five because we have a good understanding of how we do this. Give or take, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm making the, the, this sound a bit easier than it is, people. But yeah, no. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you're, yeah, but with caveats about culture and the law. And yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. But but so you, I, I think you addressed a bunch of stuff. Marcus can do along to help along the journey already, right? Being helping with figuring out the strategy at the in the growth stages. Making sure there is a, this is me now putting, slightly putting words in my mouth, but the, the point we just discussed about maybe, maybe countering a founder that wants to talk about the firm and making sure it's a more client focused messaging will be another one. And is, but then are there any other, and I'm guessing if as the organization grows, then sort of boring aspects of administration become relevant. Right now, I suddenly have to manage how marketing gets done across three different regions. I have to align multiple practices. So, so sort of this orchestration bit probably becomes a bit more of a you, focus you of the a, function, right? Yeah, you, you become a process manager. If, if you're a, a senior in a consultancy that is more than 50 people, you're starting to become a process manager. Once you get to 100, you're definitely optimizing processes, you know, looking at automation, managing the bottom line. Yeah, so it... And the same is true of marketing. You want to get beyond that phase of, don't get me wrong, you always experiment, but you want to have built a system that is continuously bringing in new clients. And that is something that buyers will reward. So, you know, it, it's buyers, you know, Ash again knows this. If it, they're, they're looking for a firm that has intellectual property built in, not just into their services, but also into their operations. And and that I think also goes to the your post I mentioned with the next generation. Even if you don't sell, but you bring the next generation of leadership up from inside your own firm, they will also benefit from this yeah. stuff being systematized, right? As opposed to yeah. in your head and you're exiting, right? That that yes. that, that yeah. doesn't help anyone. Right, great. I mean, so I don't know. My last question was: Do we have any tips or best practices for stuff to avoid along the journey? You could you could pick that if you like, right? Is there anything marketing you should avoid? Or if you feel we've, we've mentioned that, just any other point you'd like to add sure. before we close? Sure. I think number one is what we discussed pri prior to the podcast, actually, which is around um, just throwing money at marketing and thinking that marketing will take care of your messaging. Yeah, so I, it, was, it was really refreshing for me 
to hear about your firm and the way you incorporate the leadership in the firm about creating, you know, thought leadership and themes and content. Because yeah. for me, that's absolutely crucial. The value of marketing content isn't, as you say, you know, in what, you know, a 21-year-old who's got no experience writes about the firm. It's about the partner's understanding of the real client's challenges. So that's the first thing, I guess. The second thing, and again, I'm, <laughs> these aren't messages you might necessarily welcome, but there isn't a need for most firms to spend a fortune on marketing. There are lots of quick wins. If you don't have a big budget, if you can't afford to, you know, 10 grand a month, yeah. or whatever, there are quick wins that you can do around, you know, creating funnels, being active on LinkedIn, automating some stuff. There's, you know, AI and automation. They're not great at the moment, but they they can provide an 80-20 that can save a lot of firms a lot of money. I But I agree. So, and I honestly have learned to try and avoid selling marketing to firms that are too small. But I have this, I don't know if you agree, and this is not based in any empiricism whatsoever. It's just a gut feeling. I sometimes feel like you could probably build a firm to three, maybe five million, maybe higher if you, depending on the field you're in, with just sales and classical business development alone. If you have a reasonably specifically defined problem and you know who to talk to, yeah, you, you could go a long way before you switch on marketing. And that's the one thing. And the other thing I always try to educate people on is marketing is like a, you can imagine the ex, like an exponential curve on a chart, right? Like the return on the investments there will be significant, but boy, it takes so many costs money. You need like putting the foundations in place is not for yeah, free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and to your earlier point, it involves some, not just money, but also work from leadership and some yeah. time yeah. commitment there. And the payoff will be huge, but I can totally understand if you say, okay, but that's not the stage we're in because we need results for the next quarter. Yeah. yeah. Then maybe the classic, like sales, not the right, not necessarily yeah. the word people go by, but classical business development, expanding existing accounts, all that stuff is is your yep. ticket. So yeah, I, in, in your model there, it's probably towards the middle or later stages when marketing comes in. I would totally agree. Yeah. In fact, the, for my firm, we have our ICP defined as 25 consultants and up, yep. lower, yeah. lower threshold, which sometimes we dip below that. But that's just, in my experience, that's when people start to looking at having one or two FTEs doing marketing and these types yeah. of things. Yeah. 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 And, you know, they're making enough profit there. So a firm of that size will typically be making a, a, a bit less than half a million euros a year in profit. And that's certainly enough money to start, you know, throwing uh, mm. at marketing. Um, there's two further things I would say. One is the link up between marketing and sales. For some reason, a lot of business owners think they're completely separate worlds. And obviously, the marketing function needs to support the sales function. So talking to partners about their journey with the clients and saying, well, what resources would really help if you could send them to a client, you know, once they get to just before the proposal stage? Yeah. Things like that are so crucial. And, and the second thing is around thought leadership. I'm a really big fan of high-quality, original, research-based um, thought leadership I think the world is saturated with blogs and podcasts and webinars. Um, what it's not saturated with is really high quality research-based insights. And so my view is, and, and what's great about that is that if you can produce a great piece of thought leadership, you can then cut it up and reuse it and have webinars about it, turn it into a book, whatever. 
and all of that's going to be high quality stuff as opposed to writing 200 blogs that to be honest they're the same as everybody else's yeah and you talking your earlier example of that one fictional firm wasting 30k what they felt right on marketing which didn't work they could have spent those 30 on a, yeah. right such a piece of research and then marketed that through what i would rather consider sales channels right if you yeah. send it to a prospect over linkedin you're doing sales you've just replaced the phone with a chat but it's the yep. same idea but they could go a long way so yeah i would agree again on those priorities i have some something interesting have something interesting to say first yes and then we can figure out how to say it to more people yep. at, at lower at a lower price point which is what marketing does effectively right it just you leverages mass media to get you in front of more people more often at a lower price point than yep. you having to phone them up or visiting them or whining dining them or whatever See what would be can i quickly add one one additional thing in that that, yeah. that, I, that i see that i think is a missed opportunity and that is involving clients more in your yeah. marketing process. I think there's a huge opportunity for consulting firms. I think they're scared of it, to be honest. But that's to bring some clients into the company, you know, take them out for a nice meal to say thank you, but get them involved in you know new product development, firm strategy, the marketing process. What do they like? What do they not like? Yeah. And as well as getting their feedback, you're actually building the relationship with them. So I think that's a missed opportunity. Absolutely. It's yeah. It's very good points to make. Well, I don't know. With that said, I sh do we have anything else? Do you have any more questions? Or should we wrap this up here? I think it's almost around. Yeah. Unless you... Yeah. I mean, we, oh. we, we could have another podcast about... I know you've probably done it, but I think there's some interesting opportunities around AI that everyone else in the world is talking about that now. So maybe we should pause here. We will discuss this off mic because I'm still interested, but let me... First, say, Professor Joe Mahoney, thanks for stopping by and discussing yeah. with us. It was very insightful. Pleasure to to have you on. And uh, where can people find you? And I think you also have a podcast yourself, right? We've, we've I do. So I've got a, 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 the Consultancy Growth Podcast or something like that. And my memory isn't what it used to be. <laughs> really uh, to it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> LinkedIn, I've got a website, which is joeomani.com, which my wife takes the piss out of me remorselessly about. But yeah, joeomani.com is where it's at. Brilliant. So again, thanks for stopping by. And then with that, I'll stop the recording and wish everybody a nice weekend. Eventually, yeah. it's a bit earlier enough Friday than usual, but still, I'll say it. So. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. 